This is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today we continue our review of The Chosen with a discussion on the seventh episode of season two. Marty, I've done it again. We are continuing our review. It's the only word I know how to use, apparently. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. What else would it be? It, it just that, That's just it. It's literally it's what it. we're doing. We are continuing. It, absolutely. Um... Yeah, is there anything we need to say before we get into it? Make sure people listen to the whole podcast. If you're finding us, we always like to say that over and over again, but if you're finding us because of our chosen commentary, that's splendid. But a lot of our commentary assumes that you've listened to our larger body of work, mostly contained within our first five sessions, which would be our first 205 episodes. Some hundred and some odd hours worth of content kind of going through the whole journey of the Bible. So it's designed to work in a linear fashion, to take you on a journey, to slowly give you more and more tools, and just kind of let us ask better and better questions of the Bible, and just kind of unfolding our journey as it would have for the same people of God. Like, their story starts in Genesis, and they keep learning more and more and more about this God as they go. So we want our journey to begin in Genesis and to follow that same kind of pattern and trajectory. So if you're finding us, uh, you know, don't be afraid to go back and listen to the whole thing. Anything else you would add, Brent? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think with a chosen episode like this specifically, where it's not a ton of text that they're pulling from, they're mostly just building up um, for other things that are going to happen later. A lot of character development, not a lot of text to pull from. So. It is a matter of how do they see these characters? How are they interpreting their personalities and everything? So, um, yeah, our our ideas of what we think Scripture is doing uh, with all of these people are best seen in Session 3. Um, but everything that we talk about in Session 3 builds on Session 1 and Session 2. So, yeah, you kind of got to listen to a pretty big chunk of it to get the full context of whatever we're talking about. Yep. Yep. That's the truth. But we'll do our best to make this as entertaining as possible on its own. We, uh, I, I feel, I feel like we do an adequate job. <laughs> I don't know if we're here for entertainment. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. <laughs> Maybe some people are like, "Man, these guys are hilariously ridiculous," and you know. <laughs> well, they're probably thinking that about our three-minute intro into the commentary. So hey, we'll hey, hit that hey. spoiler horn. Okay, there. all right, spoiler horn. <laughs> Uh, so we start off, uh, there's a flyer hanging on the wall, uh, posted saying Jesus is sought for questioning. We see Atticus come up and rip it off and, uh, he goes to Quintus and, uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, the, the Roman soldiers outside are, are giving him a hard time. And then he pulls back his cloak and shows his, whatever the, whatever the crest is on his breastplate. And uh, it's not really, I don't think it's metal. It's uh, it's leather or whatever, but shows his symbol and they're like, oh, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Um, Quintus in the scene makes a reference to Gaul, which I thought was was a fun little like, we don't, we don't really think about Gaul very much until we get past Jesus's time. But um, here it is as part of the Roman Empire. Right. I did note that. And right after you got done saying you need to at least be through session three, you go and drop a session four bomb on us. But yeah, we talked about Gaul in session four. Um, the Galatians, the people from 
Gaul, we talked about that region and what it was like. And Rome definitely had a uh, there was a there was a Roman stigma about the land of Gaul and what that meant. So you definitely sense that um, that uh, uh, almost a derogatory reference there as they are having that conversation. Oh yeah, I would definitely say derogatory. Yeah, <laughs> the way Quintus is saying it. Absolutely. The um. Full disclosure, my notes that I'm looking at are just a mess. When I first got into reviewing this episode, I remembered that this episode started with like uh, the scene with Quintus, but then my player automatically started like wherever it was where I last left off, which was also a scene with Quintus. So I watched about the last 20 minutes of this episode completely lost, Brent, uh, and then I was able to realize what was going on, and I was able to go back to the <laughs> real beginning and... <laughs> My notes in front of me are like, what is he talking about? Oh, okay. Got it. Well, hopefully I can keep us on track. That's why you're here. Don't leave it to me, obviously. <laughs> well, so uh, so Atticus relays that he has some news about Jesus. Quintus seems fairly pleased about uh, the idea of making a connection with Jesus. And uh, in the, I don't know, I don't know. Please, I was trying to figure out what the word is of what what Quintus is feeling. He's he's like excited, pleased, but in a like I'm getting what I want sort of way. Not necessarily in a, I'm really excited to meet Jesus because he seems like such a cool guy. Yes, right. Although he does, I don't like his his feelings about Jesus are very mixed, which we'll obviously get into later when they have their discussion. But um, yeah, Quintus is he is uh, he's happy to hear that that he's working towards his meeting with Jesus. So absolutely. It, it aligns well with his, the agendas that he has on his own table. Yes. And then, uh, then we have the credits. So coming from there, we have Simon, Andrew, James, and John. They're standing on the shore, and uh, they're arguing about who's going to have to fish. They do a uh, some competition where they're throwing rocks to see who has to do what. And Andrew's a little bit uh, a little bit upset about the whole situation because he's like, "Well, Jesus told all of us to fish, so why are we why are we divvying it up this way?" And uh, ultimately, Simon and Andrew lose the competition, which is just a how far can you throw the rock? And we're not exactly going to measure it. <laughs> but I guess, I guess their loss was decisive enough that they didn't argue too much. Um, and then James and John wander off at that point. And uh, Jesus is discussing his upcoming sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, with some of his other disciples. James and John walk up. Uh, Jesus, you know, makes some comments about that, but apparently doesn't seem upset that they decided to divvy up the work that way. So, yeah, I was, I have notes about that. Like I was so intrigued by, and it just made me wonder, like, it's just pure speculation. It just made me wonder, like, I wonder what Jesus's typical demeanor was. I mean, there was the episode at the very beginning of the season where he really let James and John have it, like, so they're not shying away from that. It's not like Jesus is always like, eh, it doesn't matter. We're just going to roll with the punches. But in this case, he does. Like, And I, I found that like a really provocative, speculative little journey because I, I was like, man, if that was me and my disciples, they would have gotten an earful. And Jesus is like, eh, pick my battles, whatever. Okay, we're just going to move. Like he has fun. He's having fun with it, decides not to rebuke them. And I just thought, man, I wonder if that, I wonder if that was the way. 
Jesus typically was. And then when he did, when he did pick those moments, they were that much more poignant because he generally didn't. It's just an interesting thing to consider. But I, I noticed that very strongly when I watched that episode. Yeah. And it, like maybe it's just because he doesn't necessarily have a specific thing for every single disciple at this point. And so he's just like, okay, these four were fishermen. They can go off and get the fish. But then when they decide, like they know how many people are in the group. They know like they've been fishing for a long time. They know what they can do. They know what they can get. And so maybe he just says, well, they know what they're doing with fish. So I'm not going to tell them how to do it differently. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. My The rabbinical trip leader side of me was definitely, I was pleased at least because I was a little, I was a little like ticked that Jesus didn't at least give them a little <laughs> tongue lashing. And then, and then like a moment later, they're like, oh, so tell us what you've been talking about. And Jesus is like, nope, nope. No, we've been have like he also like okay, you chose to be here, but no, we're not we're not catching you up. You're not supposed to be here. And I was like, okay, that satisfies my need for vengeance. That satisfies my need for divine judgment. There we go. There you go. Okay, that's a good point. Uh, Matthew, as he's attempting to catch them up before Jesus cuts him off, uh, refers to Simon the Zealot as Z. Uh, so I think I'll probably end up saying that ah, okay. a few times. So. Um, it's, Taking your cues from Matthew, I like that. Well, it's good. Yeah, it's, it's good a, choice. It's in the text of the show, yeah. so uh, that's there you what I'm go. doing. Okay. Yep. So Jesus is explaining, like, hey, people are coming to see all these signs and wonders, but I'm actually going to give them truth, uh, which is what they really need. And he says that uh, this sermon will define their whole ministry, which I thought was an interesting, interesting point for him to make. And I was kind of mulling that over, like he's basically. He's basically telling everyone how uh, we talked about this way back in session three again, uh, referencing back. Let me see what episodes this would be. It would be uh, like 93 through 98, 99, somewhere in there uh, that covers the Sermon on the Mount. And basically he's going through all the different teachings of Torah and and explaining like, here's how uh, here's how it's been interpreted before. Here's how I think you should interpret it now. Um, so yeah, it is kind of defining the ministry in that way, I guess, but I don't know. I don't know what I think about that. Yeah. Um, and I didn't have a problem with that part of the content. I was okay. I'm still trying to decide how I feel. I'll have plenty of things to say next episode. We'll put it that way, but I'm still trying to decide how I feel about all of the event driven energy. Like it has almost like a the the slightest mega church we got a big shindig coming up feel to it energy to it and uh and you heard me like start to get critical about that last episode and then i was like well i mean you could absolutely make a case in the gospels this was kind of one of the defining moments of jesus's public ministry so and then i kind of backed off and was like okay well maybe and i'm still kind of in that place like this episode i'm like yeah yeah okay i'm i mean i'm fine with it uh, yeah i think i'm I'm okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm right there with you. Yeah, I, I think it will. Yeah, we'll definitely have a lot to say about the event part of it <laughs> in the next episode. So we'll just save it for that. Uh, so then we see Shmuel and Yanni. They enter a synagogue. I think it was a synagogue. I'm not completely sure on that. Um, and Yusuf comes out to greet them. Would this have been a synagogue or would this have been some other pharisee compound or something i don't know uh no definitely a synagogue they uh, 
if I have the right scene in my mind, this is where he says, let's go into the bait midrash and talk, right? He did they, uh, is it that one or is it? I'm trying to remember if it was that, if that, that scene. Yes. Yes. It, it is that scene. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. So yeah. So that, that bait midrash is going to be the study room on the side of the synagogue. So definitely looked like a synagogue to me, I assumed. And then when they said, let's go into the bait midrash, I thought, okay, they're leaving that kind of corporate liturgical text space to go talk business in the more general study area yeah and it just wasn't like a it wasn't a synagogue meeting right or anything so i just wasn't sure initially but yeah that that is a good point about the bay midrash but i do love that because that's i mean that is how the synagogue functioned uh in their day it was more of a communal a community center and especially in a patriarchal culture where everybody else is taking care of things and your pharisees your your teachers of the law your scribes your elders those typically male members of the community are going to be like hanging out there throughout the day. And especially when you're operating as the spiritual leaders of the community, that's the space you'd be. So I just, again, I just feel like really spot on. The synagogue was not a place you went to on Shabbat for services. That synagogue is a place you went to all the time. I mean, that's, that's like one of the places you would go find everybody. That was your third space. That was your coffee shop. That was, not in a consumeristic sense, in a communal sense, where is so-and-so? Well, they're probably either at the synagogue or their house. Um, and uh, so I really like that part of it. Mm. Okay, that's good. So Shmuel wants to speak to Yusuf about uh, the Ethiopian woman, Tamar, and they're looking for the leper who was healed. Uh, they're trying to find the, uh, I think they, well, yeah, they do mention the leper, because I think she knew about that somehow. Yep. Uh, but they're also trying to uh, find the man who had been paralyzed and was lowered through the roof. Um, they're trying to see if this happened on Shabbat. And, uh, you know, they kind of go back and forth on it. And Yusuf's like, so what if you find her and you find out that the healing was not on Shabbat? Well, what are you going to do then? Because then it's not really so much of a controversy, is it? And... Uh, <laughs> The dramatic pause, yeah, reflection. Shmuel is a little uncomfortable about this. He's definitely um, made a lot of assumptions up to this point and just knows that he's going to find the scandal. Um, but Yusuf kind of kind of brings a little bit of reality to the table for him. Not that it's going to stop him, but... Um, so then we have Simon and Andrew fishing. They're discussing Jesus' confrontation with the Pharisees about picking grain on Shabbat. Andrew's concerned about them reporting Jesus and Andrew's, you know, he says, I'm trying to be smart. And this is like a nice little aside, um, that, that shows a little bit more of Simon's, uh, personal growth. And, uh, Andrew says, I'm trying to be smart. Simon responds, leave smart to Matthew and Thomas. And Andrew's like, Whoa, so Matthew's smart now. The Messiah really has come. Yeah. There's a good line. And, and I did like, man, this was just, this was almost a, like a hard, painful episode to watch Andrew. I mean, well done on their part creating the episode because this is definitely like Andrew's meltdown is this episode. And it's such a different role than what's been played up to this point. And kind of the role reversals between was, is just so realistic. I mean, that's how, that's how we are. Like, it's not always one person having the meltdown. It's all of us that go through our different ups and downs for different reasons. And I loved watching that. It was super uncomfortable. I kept being like Matthew, or excuse me, not Matthew, Andrew. Man, chill out. 
<laughs> yeah. But he was definitely, this is definitely his episode where he is struggling. Yeah, Andrew's been, you know, lighthearted, fun-loving kind of guy and just optimistic about everything. And, and now he feels like... Confident. Yeah. Confident because of who the Messiah is. Confident because of John the Baptist. Confident because of the kingdom of God. And now, who? Yep. And, I, you know, as he mentions later, somewhere in the episode... Like, look what happened to John the Baptist. Like, the same thing's going to happen to Jesus. He's going to be locked up. This whole thing's going to get shut down. And I'm going to lose, you know, I'm going to lose somebody else that I care about so much. Yep. So it it is understandable, but it's like, man, he definitely, definitely is a different kind of Andrew than we're used to seeing. So um, probably fun for the actor to portray as well, to do something sure. a little different too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then we're back with Shmuel and Yanni, and they go to visit Quintus, and um, they're trying to get in to talk to him. And the Roman soldiers are questioning them, and and they're like, "Look, we have our own intelligence on Jesus. Your information's outdated. Get out of here." Um, so they're intrigued, and they're trying to get information out of the Roman soldiers, who are absolutely not having it, <laughs> and just completely kick them out of the out of the place. Yep. Then we have Atticus. Um, with Gaius and uh, like a dozen soldiers and they're on their way to arrest Jesus arrest. I don't know if necessarily detain Jesus, bring him in for there questioning. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sought, sought for questioning, I think is what the, uh, what the poster said. Um, so they're going to bring him in and, uh, he's making references to the Pharisees and Sadducees and other preachers in jo- Jodapada. Uh, I don't know if that's a, I'm assuming that's a real place. It's a real place. Um, it, uh, and I'm assuming that their portrayal of it is accurate to what kind of city it was, but I don't know anything about where this place is. I wasn't provoked enough to do a bunch of historical study and remind myself, but I believe I would assume, based on their track record up to this point, outside the guy running around with high, high priest clothes, I, I'm going to trust what they're doing. Who's coming back in this episode? <laughs> I know. Still dressed as a high priest. So confused. Uh, yeah. Um so Atticus is filling Gaius in on some of the miracles Jesus has done up to this point. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, then we're back with Simon and Andrew arguing about how Mary handled her struggles. And Andrew continues to be super on edge about everything. Uh, he's afraid that Jesus's sermon will be ruined. And, uh, he's saying he's expecting trouble, maybe even war, Simon disagrees with that idea. Um, and then and then Andrew turns around and then Simon looks over at the shore and sees the Roman soldiers approaching and he's like, uh, Andrew, take a deep breath, buddy. <laughs> and then of course Andrew turns around and totally freaks out. <laughs> yep. Because all of his fears are quickly uh coming to realization. So Yep. Yep. Uh, and then Jesus is on the shore. He's commenting uh, that a few days is going to be plenty of time for things to go smoothly. And then, of course, uh, the the soldiers approach and he tells Matthew and Philip, like, hey, don't be afraid. Just keep planning. Tell everybody else to keep planning. I'll be back soon. And uh, I did love that phrase. Just like, I'll be back with a sense of like, you know, confidence, not trivial, not not. He's not writing off the gravity of the situation, just like, I'll, I'll be back. Like, this sense that he's aware of what time it is and what hour it is, to put it in the language of John, you know, his hour has not yet come, but whatever this is, I'll, I'll be back. I, I like the way he delivered that line. Yeah, so the soldiers 
circle around them and Gaius asks Jesus if he will surrender. And Jesus is like, yeah, of course, no problem. And uh, asks, Jesus asks if he can say goodbye to his ima. And Gaius kind of thinks about it for a second. He's like, yeah, go ahead. Uh, Jesus tells her not to be afraid. Um, then he tells James and John to drop their weapons and step back. And Jesus tells, uh, while, while they're doing that, Jesus tells Gaius like, Hey, just so you know, Matthew is safe. He's doing really well. And Gaius is just like, man, I am not, not understanding what's going on here. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop, but everything is going so easily for what we're doing here. And, uh, Gaius starts to question Jesus. He's like, what? you know, Matthew's used to eating really well and you guys don't always have that much food. And, and what do you, what do you really have to offer Matthew? And, and Jesus says, we can talk about that later. Yeah. It, uh, he, he kind of like looks out of the corner of his eye to the, like the circle of soldiers in the setting. And the way I heard that line, he's used to eating well. What do you have to offer him? Should we talk about this later? I felt like Jesus was aware of, like Gaius is, is he cares enough and he's worked up enough that he's about ready to make himself kind of look like an, an absolute idiot with everybody watching. And Jesus somewhat kind of protects him with this, like, I think the line was, you know, shouldn't, wouldn't this be better if we talked about it later somewhere else? Yeah. Because um, you, you have a job to do. And I thought, man, what a great... I mean, that would have been a, uh, that's not just Jesus, that's just a great rabbinical move to show a sense of deference and a looking out of the people that are questioning you and engaging you, um, not just self-focused, but, you know, what's going, and I just, I like that, it was, uh, it was a cool little part of that scene. Yeah, so then uh, then we have Simon and Andrew running up to the rest of the disciples um, at the camp asking what in the world just happened. Andrew's totally hysterical, <laughs> insists on going after Jesus. And uh, Mary's like, well, I should probably join you. I feel a little bit responsible for this. And Andrew's like, well, you might be responsible. And Simon's like, hold on a second, <laughs> shuts everything down. And uh, Phillips tells Mary, like, look, you should stay here. I'll go with Andrew. I, you know, I've been through this, you know, detainment jail thing many times with my other rabbi, I'll, I'll take care of it. And, uh, then Z's like, well, we should just go break him out. <laughs> it's like, well, yep, yeah. <laughs> he's been waiting for this moment. Didn't have to wait too long. Yeah. I did love Phillips move, um, where he says, uh, not only was it a great logical move, it just showed a sense of, again, the same thing we've seen through the Philip character this whole time, like a sense of social awareness and teamwork of like, somebody has got to go, but better at be me than, and I just like that, that. That was, you're like, oh, yeah, perfect, wonderful. Go, Philip, go. Um, and that was, it was a cool moment. In the midst of them hotly debating what they're going to do, I thought, man, there's Philip's maturity showing up yet again and uh, going with a situation that could be a real tinderbox if they're not careful. Yeah. And so Jesus told Matthew and Philip to tell everyone else to keep planning and that he would be back. And so now Philip's gone. And so I was waiting at some point for Matthew to speak up and say, Hey, Jesus told us to keep planning, but he never does. Um, which I don't know if that was, a if that was an oversight on the part of the writers, uh, or if they just felt like, you know, 
I mean, Matthew does speak up at one point to protect Mary, but then doesn't end up, you know, relaying what Jesus's commands were. I mean, to some extent he does, but... Yeah, and somebody does speak up. I can't remember if it was Mother Mary or Mary Mary or even somebody else. Somebody else says, we should stay. That's what he asked us to do. He did not ask us to go with him. Right, right. I can't yeah. remember which character it, it, it was. It, it was John. Oh, okay. John said, you know, he, he was very clear. He told us to drop our weapons. He told us he'd be back. Yeah, you're right. So plenty of... plenty of. Uh, there's another scene a little bit later where they continue to argue about this, and there's lots of tense moments, lots of hurtful words thrown around. Well, and I can't remember which one of those scenes it's in, but you just mentioned the John reference that he told us to drop our weapons, that he'd be back. And then the zealot's like, well, I interpret that statement, you know, Z, Simon Z is like, well, I interpret that statement this way. And they're like, well, of course you would as a zealot. And I loved his line. I am not a zealot anymore. Just zealous. I'm just zealous. I am, I am no longer a zealot. I'm just zealous. And I thought, man, that's a really great, um, that's a great line that they wrote in there. Yeah, talk about the idea of like interpreting things through the lens you want to see it. It's like <laughs> Jesus was pretty clear <laughs> about what yep. was going on. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't yep. upset. He wasn't, he didn't look afraid. He, you know, he told us not to be afraid. It was all very clear. And of course, um, Z wasn't actually in the circle at that point, was he? Or was he? Uh, you know, and remember, I watched this episode kind of in scattered bits so i'm not sure i'm not confident in my episode order um my next note is just mary's wisdom like at the end of that conversation she's the one that has this sense of like hey this is what we need to do and i thought ah, it was great to see mary's character come through in that way i think that's going to be true to form yeah for her so yeah i don't remember as he was actually in the circle when jesus was detained but oh when jesus was detained i i, I get what you're asking no i don't I, he was not i do not believe that would have gone poorly i can imagine <sighs> yeah i mean i don't know yeah that's true because he would have said well i don't know because he threw away he threw away his weapon so i don't know yep. if he actually has a weapon at this point james and john do apparently i still can't imagine him just standing by even though he's not a zealot he's just zealous i man i can't imagine that would have been a yeah crazy moment if he would have stood down in that in that situation but yeah uh so then we're back with shmuel and yanni they enter what sort of seems like another synagogue although maybe they're maybe there's just a, the entrance to the street or something i'm not quite sure um but they're trying to interrupt someone who's in the middle of a prayer uh, the guy shuts them down repeatedly. And then uh, a woman at the entrance of the building um, is saying like, look, he's, he does this every single day. They're all like that in this city. Um, and this is the Jodapada where apparently uh, there's, it's crawling with Pharisees and Sadducees, according to Atticus. Uh, and radical ones at that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, so, so they ask, they proceed to ask her, if she's seen any Ethiopians and she's like, eh, not many. And she holds out a cup. <laughs> yeah, so right. they, they drop some money in and they they get some information. Uh, and then we see Andrew and Philip entering Jodapada and Andrew is staring at the Pharisees saying their prayers. And then they just happen upon Tamar and she's giving testimony. And uh, the man who had been paralyzed was, is there as well giving testimony with her the crowd is kind of arguing with them about what's going on. And then Philip and Andrew are, they, they go up Well, Andrew mostly <laughs> goes up on the stage. like, Hey, uh, can we talk with you privately? And so they, 
they uh, they go off and have a conversation. Um, and then we see Jesus is taken in to see Quintus, and Atticus reports like, "Yeah, they didn't resist at all. Everybody was com- was completely peaceful and compliant." And uh, Quintus is kind of assessing the situation. He's like, you know, I kind of expected someone who looked, he doesn't say John the Baptist, but he describes basically what John the Baptist looks like. He's expecting someone more like that. And uh, Quintus is relaying the the miracle of the fish that paid off uh, Simon and Andrew's debt to Atticus. And he's explaining who Atticus is to Jesus. There's just all this introduction stuff going on. And uh, Quintus asks about the Far East, if Jesus has ever been there. And Jesus is like, well, I've received visitors from the Far East, which is a fun (laughs) fun little callback. (laughs) Yeah. But he's never been there. And Quintus is like, well, we've got this fish thing, you know, how they eat the fish and blah, 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 flesh and bones. They have this whole metaphor. And Jesus says, you know, look, I can't make any promises about what I'm going to do in the future. And Quintus is like, well, I can't guarantee anything either then in that case and quintus quintus says you know i really like you just please don't make me kill you and jesus says i won't make you do anything (laughs) uh which i think is interesting my father on the other hand yeah to which quintus responds let's end on a high note just great those are well i I always enjoy the quintus scenes yeah i i don't know what that means (laughs) i don't know what that means but let's end on a high note (laughs) let's just ignore that yeah uh, so then Jesus is leaving and, uh, and Quintus makes some remarks about John as Jesus is going out. And, uh, then after Jesus leaves, uh, he's remarking to Atticus that, uh, Hey, this Jesus guy, he'll be a nice diversion for the people for a while. So definitely doesn't see any threat in whatever Jesus is doing, even though, yep. even though he doesn't like a couple of the things he's like, you know, overall, this is going to be, a, a, this will make life easier for us for a little while. Yeah. And there, you know, there was a part, I, I have some, I, I thought that scene, I really, really liked it. And for lots of reasons, um, I like how they wrote it and what they did there. One of the, one of the, one of the parts I really wanted to focus on that I thought was a, an instructive meditation, if you will, if we wanted to reflect on this in a way that could be instructive and transformative. I mean, it's a very clever conversation back and forth between Jesus and Quintus. I like the tone. I like how um, they both have like this different kind of respect. I like Jesus's posture. But but I kept thinking about, when I saw this scene, I kept thinking about and reflecting on politics. I mean, here's Rome, like this imperial presence saying, Jesus, I can't figure out what to do with you. I've got flesh and I've got bones. I've got good and I've got bad. And I need you to just make sure you don't. And and Jesus's response, I don't know if he could even put this response uh, in the episode here, but he says, No more bones, Jesus. Follow me. No more draining my talent pool, creating spectacles, crowds. No more meddling. I cannot promise any of these things. Like, here's the Empire saying, I need you to just not do this. Just like, well, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not answering to you and your agenda. I'm not answering to you and your ideology. Nor is he, like, flaming anti-Rome. I'm here to, like, chew you out, and I will denounce Rome and make a huge... He just... I, I'm here for the kingdom's agenda, and... 
if you're fine with it, like whatever, but I'm not here to, I'm not concerned with Rome's imperial agenda either. And he's completely detached from either response. He's completely detached from pro-Rome. He's he's completely detached from anti-Rome. Jesus is just, again, if we use Gospel of John language, Jesus is taking his commands. He's taking his, um, uh, taking his, what's the word I'm looking for? Direction. Taking his direction from the Father. Like, that. that's what concerns him. And I thought, man, what we could probably reflect on here in 21st century for all of our American listeners within 21st century American evangelicalism at, at this point in our history, um, how we love to pick an ideology as if as if we should pick one side or the other, as if we could pick one side or the other. And here's Jesus like, I, I, well, I, I have an agenda. When it aligns with you, whatever. And when it doesn't, sorry, um, because we're going to be about the work of the, the, the kingdom. And I thought, man, I'm just surrounded by both sides of a conversation within evangelicalism that I feel like is either so concerned with that political ideology and affirming everything that comes out of that political ideology and everything they stand for, or the other side and the other political ideology, and that's the thing that defines truth, and that's the group that I adhere to and make happy. And I, I love how in this scene, Jesus is independent of all those things. He, he, he's like, I've, I've got something, I mean, phrasing it later in the story, my kingdom is not of this world. Like, I, those ideologies mean nothing to me. Um I'll be about the kingdom. And uh, I thought that was a really interesting part of that scene that I thought, I, I know I, let me just, let me just talk about me. I could do better with that. I could do better with um, not tying myself to whatever political idea or social standard or, you know, whatever my pet ideologies and pet convictions are. I could do a better job probably holding it like the Jesus character in this scene does. And uh, I want to learn from that. Yeah, that's uh, that's good stuff to think about. Uh, so then we're back with Shmuel and Yanni. They found the crowd that was listening to um, Tamar's testimony. And uh, then the priests or Pharisees or whatever they are from Wadi Kelt <laughs> um, come up at this point and find them. And uh, then we're over with Andrew and... He's asking tomorrow, like, look, please don't talk about Jesus anymore. There's all this stuff going on. Then Yusuf comes up in disguise, uh, approaches them, tells them what Shmuel is doing, what his plans are. And they're a little confused why he would be sharing this information. They kind of feel like it's a trap. He's like, look, I've got my own reasons. Um, but then Philip comes back and says, like, hey, Jesus isn't here. And so they... They leave and they take tomorrow with them. <laughs> and, and who's this guy? Um, yeah, I did love that exchange to which everybody just looked at each other like, nope, not getting into that now. Um, I, I mean, a couple notes I had for those two scenes, the one with uh, Shmuel and that conversation. Twice in this episode, they bring up the fact that Jesus has women amongst his followers. And I thought that's actually, you know, N.T. Wright has written some things, not necessarily books and resources, but more like articles on the presence of women in Jesus's ministry being um, very uh, not so, it would have not have been the norm within a rabbinical setting within the world of the Pharisees to see that. So I, I like how they're representing that. I think it's even earlier in the episode when they're talking 
um, they're talking about women giving testimony and how useless a woman's testimony is. And that's very consistent with Jewish understanding of. And Yusuf even says that directly to Tamar. Right. <laughs> He's right. like, look, I, yes. I know I, I know what you've said, but your testimony is not worth anything. Right. To which she's just aghast by. But I did love how they're, you know, uh, they're representing that part of culture and how what Jesus is doing is uh, is revolutionary for that you know, that kind of setting. I also had a note here. I love how they're representing Pharisees that help. Like we, we'll make that point in session three. The Pharisees are not a monolithic group. That Those Pharisees have Pharisees that lean one way, Pharisees that lean another. They're a very complex crew and they all, they're all going to approach their Jewish faithfulness in very similar ways, but they don't all see the same things. They don't all have the same motivations. They don't adhere to all the same ideologies. And so you have somebody like Shmuel, who's completely devoted to his religious fervor. You have people that are more politically corrupt. You have people that are, you know, just, uh, they're they're going to be more socially conscious in the Pharisaical party. You have people like uh, was it, you say the name is Yusuf. Is that right? Right name? Yusuf. Yeah. You have somebody like Yusuf here representing Pharisees that you do see in the Gospels that are going to show up and say, "Jesus, you got to get out of here. Herod wants to kill you." You have people that are concerned with. I don't know if I agree with you. I don't know where I fall, but Jesus, I don't want you to be gone. Like I'm, I'm intrigued by what you're doing to the Pharisaical conversation. I'm interested in having more. Don't screw this up. And and I, so I like that part of the Yusuf character here. I think it's very textually grounded, and I like it. And what was it? I didn't write it down, but there was something that Yusuf said, I think maybe to Andrew, uh, apologizing to him or something about how how he had interacted with him previously. Yeah, he definitely stopped short of apologizing. <laughs> but he he says, I spoke harshly. He acknowledges like... I spoke harshly oh, to right. you. Yeah, at Matthew's house. And to which uh, whoever it was responds with like, oh, like, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. <laughs> to which Yusuf responds, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not worrying about it. So it wasn't an apology, but it was this like weird acknowledgement. Uh, of, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Okay. Well, anyway, so we're back at the camp, and Z is standing watch, of course, as you would expect. Matthew's writing. Everyone else is just kind of shuffling around. Certainly nobody's getting any rest at this point. Then uh, they see Jesus. Uh, Z spots him, of course, first, and everyone runs to see him. Jesus hugs his ema, and it turns out Jesus has actually been back for a little while, and he was just praying, (laughs) and Big James is kind of upset about this. He's like, uh, didn't you realize we were all worried about you? Couldn't you like come say hi or something real quick? <laughs> and, uh, Jesus is like, look, things are only going to get more difficult from here on out. You can't just shut down when you're fearful. And what are you going to do when I'm no longer here? You got to figure this out. So then John is asking Jesus to teach them how to pray. James and Simon kind of reiterate that request, uh, as well as they continue the conversation and Jesus is Uh, actually a little bit impressed with them and says, this is how true students should behave. Prayer is really important. It gets at the heart and it gets the mind and the heart right. And then he goes into the Lord's prayer. I did. I did love that part of that scene. Like, uh, you know, the gospels don't necessarily portray it that directly, but I loved the way they put that, how they set that in a larger. And I did love Jesus's response. Like, this is what students do. This is the right thing. 
And I, I did like how that situated itself. And, and I thought that was really on, on the heels of Jesus saying, did I not tell you? And this kind of like silent, like, oh yeah, kind of eyes down, like, yeah, we probably should have remembered what you told us more. And one of their responses in that, you know, in those seconds that follow is, okay, well then, then give us tools, like teach us how to pray. I thought that's a cool way to frame that conversation that we have in the gospels. I like that. That was kind of, kind of neat. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, I mean, it comes up in the sermon on the Mount. So there's that, um, which I think totally makes sense if, if they're, if they're preparing for the sermon and for, for that to be like an issue that has come up so recently, I think it would totally make sense for Jesus to include it in that. Uh, we also see it in the Luke passage. And in that case, it's like Jesus returned from a certain place. It's all pretty ambiguous. So I could totally see it fitting in here. Yep. So it works. Um, yep. So then later on, Jesus wakes up Matthew in the middle of the night, asks for help organizing his thoughts. And, uh, Matthew's like, Hey, uh, is this, is this whole teaching just going to make all this stuff worse? And, uh, uh, I don't remember exactly what Jesus says in response to that, but he, um, he says the time has come to to like move forward with this teaching or something like that. Yeah. The line he says to that is no promises. Uh, I have it written. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, Yeah. He says that no promises on that. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to make it worse. No promises. Uh, It's not what we're here for. And I I thought of the CS Lewis lion, which wardrobe Aslan line about like, but is he, you know, uh, is he safe? And the response is, Oh, he's definitely not safe, but he's good. And I thought, ah, great. Similar energy there at that that juncture all right well that's the end of this episode okay we're almost there marty we are we are it's getting we got one more one more of season two and we'll have our little bonus conversation season two chosen wrapped up for now and at this point i don't think there's a release date announced for season three i'm waiting for one not not that i've heard so yep we'll uh we'll be officially caught up i guess as long as they don't like pull a surprise one on us i'm sure that won't last for very long we're never (laughs) caught up here for long yeah well you know (laughs) enjoy it while you got it exactly all right well if you want to get a hold of marty you can find him on twitter at marty solomon i'm at eibcb and you can find more details about the show at bamondestablishment.com thanks for joining us on the bamond podcast for this bonus episode we'll talk to you again soon